hospitality speaks to with outsiders, with people who are not part of your family, with not part of the church. Fellowship is with the church, but they're given, like their lifestyle, the way they roll is hospitality, meaning they're having people over all the time. And there's so much scripture I could quote here about this and taking in the outsider and making a place in your home and all this. That's what elders are like. And holding firmly to the faithful message, this gospel of the kingdom as it's been taught. Yeah, I mean, beautiful. Like those people are so fluent in the gospel and understanding it and, and just able to good news our hearts and deal with issues and problems and, you know, and just bring the good news of the gospel into this. They have a great reputation. They're hospitable. They're hanging out with people. They're the elders among us. And I have to ask, does, does this describe the elders in most churches today? To the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Alrighty, here we go again. So glad to be back with you. Hope your week's going well. Mine is so far. Uh, it's been super busy lately. I think I was talking about this maybe last episode, how like since spring has kind of popped and people are back out and about, we just, I feel like our social schedule and people of peace and people in community and family and everybody, friends, we're just, it's busy again and it feels great being an extrovert. I'm, uh, and my wife too, not too worried about it. We're loving it actually. And uh, I just got my first COVID shot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I did it. And I got to get a second one here in a few weeks or whatever, I guess. I don't remember. But yeah, I was pretty happy to finally <laughs> finally surface, make it onto the list, whatever. And um, I had some people go like, yeah, you're getting that. We're not getting it. And I'm like, well, I don't really follow the, uh, like a lot of the controversy or, you know, uh, what do they call it? I felt like for the sake of mission, I'm getting it because I want to I wanna be able to, you know, put people at ease so people are around we can say hey no Tina and I we've gotten we've gotten the COVID shots and we're feeling great and life's good and so maybe I'll have a third ear growing out of my neck here in a couple of years or something I don't know I don't think so and I, like I said I don't really follow the conspiracy theory stuff but maybe others do everybody's got to vote their conscience but I just decided you know for the sake of mission I'm going to go ahead and do it and trust and have faith that God is good and <laughs> all that hey before we get going too far into today's topic uh, I want to invite you to join me on Facebook, in our Facebook group, the Everyday Disciple Podcast. We have our own group there, and uh, we get to talk about mission and life and the episodes, and we need your voice. Please join us in there. You can either search that up, Everyday Disciple Podcast in Facebook, or made it super easy for you. You can just go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Facebook. That'll take you right there. Okay. Now, another thing has been kind of exciting is we we just started up a new coaching cohort. I think uh, you probably heard me talk about that if you listen regularly. We um, don't have a lot of cohort spots open up because of how deep we go with people and, and how much of time we give them and all. But we did have a cohort get started here in this last few weeks. And I'm just excited. The people are so great. Hello, you know who you are out there. And um, I, I just, I'm so encouraged by what I see going on in the church and people starting to think, you know, now is the time 
things have shifted. We're going. We're going to start to learn how to make disciples in everyday life out here in our neighborhoods and in community and see those multiply. So I'm just so thankful to God and thankful for everybody who's going to be on this journey with us. Um, I, I think we, if, if you were to move real quick, we have a couple of slots. We could get still get you into this new cohort if you're interested. Uh, you can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching and learn a little bit more about it. And there's a little form you could fill out a couple things about yourself and hit it. It'll send it to me. It's not a commitment, but then we can hop on a Zoom call and talk about it and see if it is a good fit. But you'd need to do it like like seriously now because we're already getting started. And otherwise, uh, it'll be. I don't want you to get behind in what we're going to learn and experience and start to do. And uh, I don't know when the next cohort time will open up. We never quite know. God's good about that and just works that all out. But there's a couple slots now. So anyway, I hope you will if you're interested. Love to talk to you about that. All right, let's get to the topic for the day. And I'm a little I'm a, a little shaky about how this could be received because we're going to talk about elders today and eldership in churches and are the elders in some of our churches really like eldering uh, or are they more like deacons or is it vice versa? Like maybe some of the deacons are actually doing the work of elders? I it's hard to say, but I know whenever we start talking polity, it seems like, oh, we're just anti-everything. And it's like, we're not. What we are is pro-disciple-making and pro-scripture and pro-the example Jesus gave us and pro-the example we get to see in the early church and all that. So I really wanted to talk about that because a lot of the people we've coached and coach currently and others who write me... Uh, about big challenges they're having in their churches right now, challenges to truly lead their people to live on mission and make disciples as a lifestyle, a lot of the challenges coming from their their own elders. Yeah, they're bumping up against opposition from the elders and leaders of their own churches. Not the devil, not city ordinances or lockdowns, not so much even their own people and the flock, but their elders. Yeah, right? So I wanted to just talk about this a bit because... To me, that's so crazy and backwards and hard to even believe when I read what Scripture says about elders and deacons, for that matter, and then I compare that to what a lot of elders are actually doing and not doing, maybe, in their churches. It's crazy to me. And, and that there would be opposition from the people who are called to lead <laughs> and be an example, as we're going to see. You know, and, and could it be that a lot of folks who are called elders are not functioning as biblical elders? Now, they have the title, but they're not really. Could it be that what we're actually doing is a lot closer to the work of deacons? Hmm. But we seem to have this twisted hierarchy and worldly top-down business structure and titles and positions in a lot of churches, and so we see people who cling to their title of elder when, in fact, they're not actually eldering God's people on the only mission Jesus gave his church, which is to make disciples. Now, there are different names used to describe this position, so if you're not from a church tradition that uses elder, other words that are translated from the same roots and different Bible translations and different denominations use different words, but there's elder, shepherd, overseer, presbyter, bishop, pastor, minister, priest. Those are really all from the same root word. 
And I know some denominations, they'll split that, go like, no, we have bishops and we have this, and we have elders, but we also have pastors, and they're not the same, and pastor can't be an elder. And Well, not biblically, okay? So first point, <laughs> not biblically. So let's, let's do a little digging into Scripture to see what and who elders were and what they're about. And I'm not going to go deep into trying to, like, parse every little bit of all the qualifications that Paul lists out, you know, in 1 Timothy and Titus and all. But we are going to take a look at some of this. We have to. We're going to, we're going to go right to the Scripture. So, so right away, Titus 1.5, let's look at that. It says, the reason I left you in Crete, this is Paul talking, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders, or the word is overseers in a lot of translations, appoint overseers in every town as I directed you. Now, something to notice right away here, okay, that catches my attention every time I read it. Elders were the elders of a town. So whenever we see Paul addressing elders or mentioning or referring to or, you know, calling out elders, their elders in a city were the oikoses, the home churches, or I don't know, you know, like those extended families, which is, you know, we see the ecclesia functioning as. There's elders, but they're the elders of that city. And by the way, he's... Paul's been gone for quite a while. The gospel's been spreading, and, and he's saying, hey, go ahead and finish up some of this stuff and appointing these overseers, these elders. It's been months. A lot of, a lot of churches, they say, well, you can't start till you have elders appointed. How, how do you have elders? We're, there's no church yet, right? And, and the other thing is, too, that, that word appoint, it's less of like take a vote or someone of authority, you know, like drops a hammer or whatever. That word, if you go back to the Greek, it, it, it's, to, it's to set down as or to constitute or to show to be. That's, that's the really, that, that's what it says. Like, like appoint those, show people who these elders are. And it doesn't say they started up elder classes, you know, in Crete, and, uh, and then took votes on who would be in charge after they finished the classes. You don't see anything like that. Elders that we see in Scripture, in many instances, particularly in the Old Testament, is a reference to the older men in a tribe in that city, usually entrusted with the governance, uh, oversight, and whose counsel people would, would seek out because of their age and their experience and the trust they had in them. These were, these were the older people, that's why they're called elders, that in your village or city they were the ones who you trusted. And oftentimes, you know, you have these pictures of them sitting by the gate or sitting around the center of the, you know, wherever the town meeting would be or whatever town hall or whatever kind of type of thing. And you've known them. You've grown up around them. Everybody knows their life and character. They've been around and involved and helping and serving. And they're the people you go to for advice. And they're the people that if you're sick, they would pray for you or, you know, gosh, we can't afford to pay this bill or, you know, that's who those elders were. I've seen this exact thing over and over and over, like in Africa and other countries when I've been out working, and it's, it's, it functions. It's, you can see it. Now, Paul then says to Timothy the, the things about, well, here's, here's what elders look like, and what he's doing is he's describing which of those types of elders, they're already there, should you trust to give oversight to the church, the family of believers that are emerging and, and multiplying in a city, mm-hmm. right? That See, now we're already, we're starting to say, well, that's not quite how we do it, right? Well, we could, <laughs> we could, but we, we, yeah, we have sort of business models often. So in 1 Timothy and also in Titus and all, we see like whatever, you know, here's the qualifications. So, you know, Paul is saying, whoever desires to be an overseer 
and and he goes through a big list of things. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really get into you know detail 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 about each one of these. But real quick, you've probably read this, right? Go look it up. First Timothy three one to seven, and in Titus one six nine it says that if you, whoever desires to be an overseer, they should be blameless. They should be above reproach, meaning they don't have like obvious stuff in their life where you go, whoa, 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 that that doesn't look right. That that's not gospel, <laughs> right? They should be faithful husband to one wife, temperate, sober, vi- vigilant. That just means they're not hotheads and weirdos. Sober-minded, prudent, of good behavior, respectable, given to hospitality, given to it. I mean, it's like their lifestyle. They practice it often. We'll come back and talk more about that in a minute. Able to teach. And I've seen churches where, like, well, are your elders all able to, like, completely teach and preach and, and gospel people and counsel and all that? It's like, well, they'd be able to in a pinch. Or like, That's not what this is saying. They're saying that they know the gospel and they're able to teach it. That's who they are, right? That's why we see the, the translation isn't like this big distinction between an elder and a pastor or a preacher. And so it's like, that's who these people were. Okay? They're not given to too much wine, so it means they're not out getting hammered um, or drunk all the time, whatever. They're not violent. They're patient. They're moderate and gentle. They're uncontentious, meaning not soon to get angry or quick-tempered. They're not lovers of money. Here's a good one. They rules an elder, someone who seeks to be an overseer, rules his own house well, and his children are faithful. They're not accused of rebellion. They're not, they're not like, whoa, those kids are way out there. Right? We've heard scriptures like if you can't even oversee your own household, how are you going to oversee the household of God? Right? Um, they, another qualification is not a, a new believer, right? So they're not young in the faith. And by the way, these were always elders, but they weren't saying, they, they, they were saying, not only are they the elders of your city, they've already been, but they're, they've been in the faith a while. Now you notice that. How could you not, how could you be an elder and not be a new believer? You're already an old person known as an elder. And, and Paul is saying, but the ones you appoint, they shouldn't be new believers. See, the, the church had been growing for years and years before this was happening. Yeah, even that's surprising to many of us. Here's another qualification. Has a good reputation with outsiders. How do you get a reputation with people? Uh, it's over time. It's over being with them, them seeing your life, seeing you in lots of different co- contexts. You, you don't have a reputation if you don't know people and they don't know you. So we'll get into that a little bit more. They're self-controlled, and they hold firmly to the faithful message, the gospel as it has been taught, meaning they're not distorting the gospel. They know it. They're applying it. They're helping people understand it. We would use the term like helping people move from unbelief to belief in light of the gospel. You've heard it said, but I say, like Jesus would say, okay? And so, like, check this out. In Acts 20, 28, a little description Paul's on one of his journeys and says he's writing to a group of city elders, it says, uh, overseers in Ephesus. And he says, keep watch over yourselves. So like, don't get howdy about this, right? Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice who does the appointing then. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a class you take and then a vote of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now that word shepherd, I kind of underlined it here in, in you know my mind and my notes here. Um, a shepherd, I, I get this picture. I've seen shepherds, but not super common in our lives, but you know, is these people whose whole life is given to being with and among their flock. 
they're there. They're they're you know they're up early and they're feeding them and watering them and keeping them from harm and they're leading them you know to safety into green pastures into growth and health and multiplication. They're shepherds. They're gentle, right? Let's look at this. First Peter five two. This is in the ESV translation. Says, "Shepherd the flock of God that is among you." So there again, it's among you. Like they, they're doing life among you. They're here already. They're not like, I don't know, there's a list of guys who are in a meeting somewhere. Uh, their name's on a sheet. Uh, I saw some pictures, I guess. Of, I, but they're not among us. I've never been to my house. I've never been to theirs. As shepherd the flock. There's that word shepherd again. The flock that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That willingly, it sounds like this. This isn't like something you sign up and like. Well, I'm rolling off the board in a year, so I can be done with this. It's someone else will have to take this. No, you either are an elder or you're not. The Holy Spirit has made you these overseers. The NIV version of that same First Peter five two says, "Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, mm-hmm. exercising oversight." That's the word really that's used the most. An overseer. An oversight is not even found in, in the most earliest of manuscripts in Scripture, and it's not even in all translations. It, it really says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not under compulsion, but willingly. But a lot of the later manuscripts have added that exercising oversight, and and even some say exercising or performing rule over them. Well, they, no, we're, we're actually told not to do that, Right? If you go on in verse 3, so that's 1 Peter 5 and 2. Verse 3, it says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Uh, compare and contrast that. Like, this oversight is not a lording over. It's being an example to the flock. An example of who? Of Christ. Christ never lorded over anybody. God never does violence to our will. He warns us. He guides us. He comforts us. He laid his life down for us. So, you overseers who are appointed by the Spirit, you're not lording over people, but you're being an example. That's Now, see, that starts to give us a very different picture of really what biblical elders or overseers, who they were, how long they'd been around, how long they had been maturing in, in the Word and in Christ, and then what their heart and attitude would be. Now, let's look at deacons for a second. 1 Timothy 3.8 um, uh, Paul's saying to him, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuant, uh, pursuing dishonest gain, so they're honest in their business and all. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. So they have to handle the word well, too, right? See, mostly all of the same attributes and descriptions are given for overseers as elders. Paul, they're, they're, it's a very close list, okay? And our, our biggest look at how the first deacons were identified comes from Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, I'm just going to read a little of this because it's super cool and it's super insightful. And you, I know you've heard this. So during those days, it says, the number of Jesus' followers kept multiplying greatly. Awesome. So there's a lot of discipleship happening. But a complaint was brought against those who spoke Aramaic by the Greek-speaking Jews who felt their widows were being overlooked during the daily distribution of food. Okay, so they're existing in a sort of a plural culture, and they're definitely mixing it up. They're not like a holy huddle over here just with the Jews, or we've split off and, you know, middle finger to the temple and the Jewish system. We're over here with the Greeks only. It's mixed, right? And then the 12 apostles 
called a meeting of all the believers and told them, it is not advantageous for us to be pulled away from the word of God to wait on tables. You've heard this before, and, and boy, this has been mistaught a lot. It goes on, it says, we want you to carefully select from among yourselves seven godly men. Make sure they're honorable, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. See that same thing? How does how are elders appointed? Uh-huh, by the Spirit. Same with these these deacons, we use the word, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we'll give them the responsibility of this crucial ministry of serving. Hmm. That will enable us to give our full attention to prayer and gospel work, right? The preaching of God's word. And it says, this proposal, please, the whole group. So all these people then, they went and chose the seven men. They chose Stephen. Later, Stephen is martyred. We hear that, right? A, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, I'm sorry, my Greek pronunciations, and Nicholas from Antioch. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed, felt good about it, and laid their hands on them. Said, yep, get after it. So according to this narrative in Acts, deacons were identified and selected by the community of believers. That's who said, yeah, these are, these are faithful people. They're, again, meaning we're doing life with them. We know. We see their marriages. We see the way they're raising their kids. We see their hospitality. We see how that's going, right? And the people, the believers in the community, selected them on a basis of their reputation and wisdom, being full of the Holy Spirit. And then their appointment was confirmed by the apostles. Notice it, not by the elders. I can remember being taught and thinking for years. It's like, you see the difference then between an elder and a deacon? The elders, they just give themselves to like preaching. But we're not gonna let our pastor be called an elder in a lot of churches. But we, and elders don't mostly preach, but you know what I mean? But we're, that's, you know, it's all this weird twisted stuff. It was actually, it was actually the people that selected them and they were confirmed by the apostles, not by elders. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I've heard it taught many times that this was a conversation between the elders and the soon-to-be deacons, but it's not. That also starts to, to kind of change a little bit of the understanding of the relationship here. And from what, from, and from that sort of misunderstanding, well, it's the elders that then picked and appointed the, the deacons. Nope, the people picked them. The apostles just affirmed that, right? Yep, they seem good. Yep, good, go, good to go. Good job picking them, right? And, but from all that misunderstanding, we get this weird separation between the saints. Some people make disciples, apostles. Some proclaim the gospel. Some hopefully make disciples. Some wait on tables and stack chairs. But we're all called to the same mission. Huh, yeah. Now, that's, that's up through verse 6. So going on in verse 7, what happened? It's the next verse. So what happened after they selected and appointed these deacons? It says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Yay! <laughs> and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So even, even people from, you know, that weren't Christians yet, and they were like high and mighty and thought they knew it and all that, many of them also became followers and disciples of Jesus. Now, notice that. So right after we see, okay, this appointing of this so they can deal with this problem, it says, so what happened? The word of God spread, a lot of new disciples. It doesn't say, so a lot more of the widows were fed and everyone stopped complaining and arguing. No, it says, so the word of God spread, more disciples were made. And, and some have wrongly taught that the elders, which like we already said was the apostles, they were the ones now freed up for the more important work, and that's why the word of God spread. 
That's why we see this big growth in the church. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what it says. Let's continue the very next verse. Who do we hear about? That's verse, we were just in verse seven. Wow. So after the appointing of these deacons, boom, word of God spreads, big growth in disciple making. Okay. It's not saying, so everybody got fed and now everything was cool. Now it goes into verse eight. Now Stephen, one of those deacons, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So here he is, still living among the people, and it's this deacon after this whole process that's out full of grace and power, and and then it says in verse 9, opposition arose, however, because there were people who were thinking, oh, he's speaking against the system because it's so different, like what you're talking about and how we're living and the kingdom has come, and wait a minute, this isn't a military kingdom, and it's not all centered in in the temple or in a synagogue, no, and so opposition arose. That was actually from within, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, the sort of powers to be, uh, not the church, but, you know, the religious powers to be, but they could not stand up against his wisdom that the Spirit had given spe- Stephen as he spoke. Hmm. So, so the deacon, Stephen here, is seen out evangelizing and discipling people, and it's flipping out the establishment who aren't living that way, and yet it says, but a, but a bunch of those priests did come to faith and start to walk with Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So it's interesting. We've kind of made this huge distinction. It's like elders are in charge of stuff, hmm, and then the deacons take care of the stuff, you know? Like the deacons wait on tables, the elders are in charge of everything. And yet Scripture's not showing that or saying that, and in fact, it's warning against it. So, so let's, let's go a little bit further now. Let's look specifically at what elders or these overseers are to be like. Who, what are they like and what do they do? Okay, so we'll go to 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. I love that language. <laughs> a fellow elder, meaning I'm an old buck too, and a witness of Christ's sufferings. And I'm also going to share in this glory, this ability to glorify God that's being revealed in and through his church. And he says this, be shepherds of God's flock. There's that word again. There's that picture that's under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. We've already read a little of this, right? Not lording it over those who are entrusted to you. Here's a big one. But being examples to the flock. Hmm. And then verse four says, when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus appears, when he gets back, you'll receive a crown of glory that'll never fade away. Why? Because you've, you've been like a shepherd to them and you've been an example to them. And so Jesus is gonna, that's, he's the one who's gonna give you a crown of glory. What's that mean? It's like, you were like me. You were like me. And that's never gonna fade now. It doesn't say because you, you worked over the budget and you made sure that parking lot was, paved and you got to, you know, made sure everybody was doing their job. No, it's nothing like that. Being examples to the flock. Examples of what, I would wonder? Well, guess what? It's examples of the mission. What's the mission? Make disciples. Be examples, showing people how to apply the gospel now, the good news. What's changed? What's happened in this new covenant and, and through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? That's what they're to be an example of, helping people move from unbelief and false beliefs to what's true of God and what's always been true, but they were missing it, okay? Now, back to Paul's teaching to Timothy. 
couple of those things from the list I just want to highlight about what elders are to be like. They must have a good reputation with outsiders. Boy, that, you know, I kind of hinted at it earlier, but that kind of speaks to, in order to have a reputation, and then with people outside the church, you got to spend time with them. They got to know your life. They got to see you. What are these people like? What's their marriage like? How do they parent? How do they fight and forgive? And how do they speak about things? And what's their priority? What are they really all about? What's their calendar filled with? And they have a good reputation with outsiders. I, I loved it when we were still living in Tacoma, which is just like 10 minutes away, when I was kind of affectionately known as the pub pastor. People knew what we did. They knew we were building out communities, and I was a pastor at a church. But they, they saw me and others as kind of their pastors, their elders, if you will. They saw us that way because of our reputation of generosity and willing to have people over the house. And, hey, can I talk to you about this? Me and my wife are having a problem with this. Or maybe you could help us. We're, you know, we're having some problems financially or whatever. Here's another one that you know, Paul's teaching to Timothy. He says they were, they're given to hospitality. Hmm. See, hospitality speaks to with outsiders, with people who are not part of your family, with not part of the church. Fellowship is with the church, but they're given, like their lifestyle, the way they roll is hospitality, meaning they're having people over all the time. And there's so much scripture I could quote here about this and taking in the outsider and making a place in your home and all this. That's what elders are like. And holding firmly to the faithful message, this gospel of the kingdom, as it's been taught. Yeah, I mean, beautiful. Like those people are so fluent in the gospel and understanding it and, and just able to good news our hearts and deal with issues and problems and, you know, and just bring the good news of the gospel into this. They have a great reputation. They're hospitable. They're hanging out with people. They're the elders among us. And I have to ask, does... Does this describe the elders in most churches today? You know, I was at a very large church and even on staff for a bunch of years, but we were there like a dozen years. To my recollection, I asked Tina this, I don't think we ever had an elder invite us over for dinner once. Mm -hmm. And I could say that the senior pastor, who was, I think they considered him an elder, but I'm not sure, there was like this weird distinction, but um, I, he, he did have us over once, but it was for a fundraising thing and they had these outside uh, sort of consultants on how we were going to raise like $10 million for the new wing or something like that. And I was over for that and basically hit up to give a big donation, which we in fact did. Um, but that's the only time, okay? Like, see, how there's a, yeah, like, boy, I wanted my elders to be among me, to be at my house, to see my kids, to know, to maybe to be at their weddings, to like hang out, to have some fun together, to eat regularly. I want to see their life. I want to learn from them. You know, what are, the, what are your elders doing throughout the week? What's their week look like? What's their family life and rhythm look like? And how would you know? Are they among you? And that kind of that sort of begs the question of, what, what are they doing? Well, they're having these meetings. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's weekly, maybe it's monthly. And I hear they're, they're, they can be quite, you know, rambunctious. I can hear that there can be a lot of fighting sometimes, right? But not usually, but, yeah, but sometimes it's heated. Well, what are, they, what are they wrestling over in these meetings? Is it all the stuff we just heard about that Paul is adamant about and we hear in 1 Peter and you get the example and, and the warnings? Well, in my experience, because I, being on staff, I got to sit in, though I wasn't considered an elder at that church, but then later I was an elder, later at different churches we were planting. A lot of what ends up in some elder meetings is they're talking about building stuff, 
parking lot getting recoded, some new paint and the hallways messed up here. We got to move this around the children's ministry. You know, like we got to let's put the youth group over here. Maybe now they're working on live stream problems. Yeah, I was looking at the live stream the other day. It's pretty bad. I couldn't hear both. You know, human resource problems with the staff, food distribution or something. See, that's just not seen anywhere in the Bible. And, and maybe, maybe that's some of the work of deacons who are like the lead servants, as we saw. But then right after we saw that they were appointed to handle that, boom, right? They, even the deacons were right back to the gospel <laughs> and making disciples. That's what the leaders are all about. Of course they would be. Uh-huh. We're just not seeing that sort of, here's a, we're going to have a bunch of meetings kind of separate from people. They don't know our lives. We don't see them. You know, and, and we're going to, like, solve problems about stuff that really might be the work of deacons or just the work of the family, right? But a lot of elders spend most of their time on management of stuff and programs and never make disciples. Some have never made a disciple or seen someone come to faith in Christ. Can you, I, I've used this illustration before. Maybe I've shared it here on the Everyday Disciple podcast. I'm not sure. But can you imagine... You've got a, a Honda dealership, let's say, a Honda car dealership, and you hire the sales manager. What's his job? Well, going to sell lots of more, hopefully, going to sell lots of Hondas. But, you know, you, you never see the guy on the sales floor. He's, you know, he's in meetings a lot, and he's telling the, you know, the other salesman what to do um, and the rest of the staff there. But turns out, he actually doesn't sell any cars. And turns out, he doesn't really like Honda, Honda cars that much. And, in fact, he doesn't even drive. He, he takes public transportation, but he's our sales manager at a Honda dealership where our whole mission is to sell lots and lots of Hondas. You'd be like, nah, that's goofy. That's not even a good analogy. It's so absurd. I know, but, but that's somehow, that's how it is sometimes. Our, our leaders, our elders, whatever, you, presbyters, you know, we're bishops. They're not making disciples. They're not live as an example. That's how you'll get your crown from Christ. And, and you know, if the pastors and elders and I'd throw the deacons in there too. If the, if, the, if the leadership in the church are supposed to be role models, examples for the rest of the people, showing them how to live and make disciples, that's what we're all about. That's the only mission we have. If that's what they're supposed to be about, making disciples like Jesus did, then shouldn't our elders have loads of not yet believing friends, lots of hospitality going on, including us in some of that stuff so we can... Oh, that's how that works, and that's how, you, that's how you speak the gospel into that without it being weird or shamey. I'm not talking about acquaintances, but I'm talking about relationships, deep friendships with, with lost people, not yet believers. Shouldn't they be part of the, their lifestyle? Shouldn't they be making disciples as the model for everyone? So, like, you know, if someone came to your church or came to the leadership and said, hey, you know, we're a young couple, we really want to learn how to make disciples, like, we, oh, we're just, we want to do that. And who can disciple us? And who, who could teach us how to make more disciples of Jesus, fill the world with God's glory? It's like, well, you know what? You just want to hang out with the elders. Like, just, you know, go to their house a lot. They'll let you. I mean, they're always doing stuff. Just go hang out there with them a lot. Watch their marriage. You know, watch how they parent. Help them work out in the yard. Help them when they're helping their neighbors. Maybe they'd even let you move in for a while. But that's how you're going to learn to make disciples. Because they're your elders. They're the example among the flock. Shouldn't that be the case? Shouldn't they be our lead examples? Shouldn't they be like rock star disciple makers, living the same way Jesus and his disciples did? I think so. And I think we get to. <laughs> I think they get to. I'll just say, if you're struggling with an elder in your church 
or a group of them that are actually resisting Jesus' call and command to go and make disciples. In other words, you're trying to move out into community, you're trying to get missional communities started, you, you know, you're wanting, you, you need some help, you want to be discipled in this, you want to see that, and they're kind of pushing against it. Well, you know, we got to get the, we got to get our programming here. You know, you know, people are just starting to come back now on Sundays, and 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 they're and they, they and you say, well, could I get some equipping? Could I get some coaching? Get some help? Like, well, you know, we don't really have money for that. What we don't have money for what the mission, the disciple, what you know, like. Well, if that's if that's what you're struggling up against, either as a pastor and your elders or elder board, they they're actually kind of resisting it, or maybe you go to a church that's like that, where the, when you talk about this, they kind of get upset. I had I had some people ask me the other day, said, you know, as we're learning to live this way, whenever I talk about it, it's like our leaders get kind of upset, like they get offended by it. It's like, hmm, maybe they should, <laughs> right? You got some work to do there. And if you're currently an elder, a pastor, an overseer, and you're not making disciples in everyday life, be honest. If you're not making disciples in everyday life, it's like it's like your lifestyle. You're living with an open home and an open heart. You're modeling this lifestyle of discipleship, kingdom living, because that's our mission. That's what we've been saved and set apart for. You're modeling this for, to those in your care. Well, if that's you and you're an elder or an overseer, you need to step up or, or maybe step down. Mm-hmm. This, this is all going to start with you and your family because you'll never lead others further or disciple them to greater maturity in the gospel and in Christ than you're living this out in your own household, in your own neighborhood. You just won't. And don't fool yourself thinking, well, others are worrying about that. No, they're not. And the church is have emptied out, and we just took a huge hit because of the whole pandemic thing, and now we got about 30% attendance, and so people are going, hey, we got to get into, like, microchurches now, and we got to get into group life and all that. It's like, well, we've been saying that forever. Hooray! But guess who needs to be our examples for that? It needs to be our leaders. It needs to be those who have been appointed by the Spirit to give oversight and live as an example. Mm -hmm. I know that's a tough... uh, <laughs> I know that can be some tough sledding there, um, and it's maybe a hard word to hear. Please don't hear that I'm, I don't think we should have elders. Don't hear that. Don't think, well, we, we, you're just saying everything is done wrong. No, I'm saying is sometimes over time and because the ways of the world and business and we got our priorities spun around and we lost the mission, we start building structures and systems and layers of polity that are not what we saw in Scripture. And I think, you know, my prophetic heart wants to call us back to that. It could be that if you're an elder and not living that way, or you're super engaged, but you're really just worrying about programming and fixing stuff and keeping everything working right, maybe you're a deacon. Or maybe if you're a deacon and you're out making disciples like crazy and and gospel in people's hearts and all, maybe you're actually functioning as an overseer. I think it's worth having the conversation. And remember, if you want some help with navigating all of this, and setting up new frameworks for discipleship and leadership and making disciples who make disciples. We still have a couple of spots left in our coaching cohort. So go ahead and check it out. See if it's going to be a good fit. Let's hop on a call, get you started. Just check it all out by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching. All right, that, that's good for today. I, 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 before I go, I'm going to leave you with the big three takeaways from our talk. If nothing else, as always, you don't want to miss these big three things. And you can get a download uh, PDF, a downloadable PDF of this week's big three by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three. 
Okay, so here are the big three then for this week. First, the work of the gospel and making disciples is the mission of the church, and it's the mission of our elders, and our overseers should be prime examples of what that looks like and how to do that. If you're currently identified as an elder in the church, are you living a life worth imitating? Do people, believers and not yet believers, have access to your everyday life and marriage and parenting? Would they grow in grace and maturity as disciples by your example and learn how to, in turn, make more disciples of Jesus? I want to call you to elder people, not programs. Number two, elders in the church, Jesus' family, are overseers, not overlords. Yeah, elders are to be overseers, not overlords. You're to be shepherds among your flock, caring for people, feeding them, guiding them, watching over their hearts. And our twisted understanding of sort of a top-down form of leadership that comes from the world was warned against, actually. We were were told not to be that way. Elders in the early church were not holed up in a weekly or monthly meeting deciding what was best for everyone else. They were not replacing the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. Let's not do that. And number three, if you're an elder, on an elder board, you're serving as an elder, and you think that changes need to be made in how you lead together, please don't shrink back from this calling. For, for the Bible says that you'll be asked to give an account of how you served and did your work. Go look that up in Hebrews 13. That's like a statement to elders. You're going to be called to give a, an account of how you did your work. Were you an example? So don't shrink back going, oh, man, that's going to flip everybody out. Who am I to say? Like, pull out the word. Humble yourselves. Step down if you need to learn and grow in the gospel and the making of disciples of Jesus. Don't cling to titles, authority, or your pride. God will bless you in your church, and you'll see a fresh releasing of the priesthood of all believers out on mission, hopefully, ultimately led by you. That'll be beautiful, won't it? Well, I hope that's a a strong challenge, but also a strong encouragement. As we head into new times and new ways of being, which are really ancient in the way we were called to, um, but out there more in the community, we have to start taking a look at some of these things. And this is one I just, like I said at the beginning, I I hear too often where not only do the elders not live as an example, they're not making disciples, but they're actually pushing against it because they just kind of liked it the way it was where we kind of sat in the rows and they had meetings and told everybody what was up. (laughs) Well, anyway, so again, hope that's helpful. That's about it for today. Next week, I got some very special guests joining me. Uh, Rob Wegner is going to be back on the show. Remember a few episodes back, maybe it was a couple months ago now, he and I talked about trends in church, like some new emerging trends. We got so much feedback on that and a lot of downloads. He was awesome. Well, he, along with Lance Ford, another really good missional friend of mine, they wrote a book with Alan Hirsch called The Starfish and the Spirit. And in their new book, they, they're sort of leveraging that metaphor in that best-selling book, The Starfish and the Spider, if you ever read that. And then what they talk about is why distributed structures of what they call a starfish organization, they're really uniquely fit to the church today and, and how they can function without a rigid central authority. And, and they're very regenerative and, and nimble. And, and they can react to change quickly and, and, and grow, right? So it's this book's just coming out, and I'm so excited for it, and it's so timely. So uh, be, be here for that. I know you're going to love it. They're going to be great. And uh, until then, I hope you have the best week ever, and I hope you get out there on mission and trust the Spirit for what's next. I'll talk to you soon.
Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.